I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How are we doing, Kelly? Doing great, JR. Doing great. How are you? It's, I'm good. I'm good. It's great to meet you. I'm, I'm super excited for the, for the episode today. Um, so I don't know if you've, uh, if you've gotten a chance to listen to any episode, but it's our audience is really, you know, new sellers and, and people that are considering a career shift into sales. And then also a lot of folks that are early in their career kind of picking up tips. Um, and our, our entire company is, is focused on helping, you know, former elite athletes. So college professional Olympic athletes, um, as well as military vets, but our focus is helping these folks become elite sales professional professionals. Um, and all of our guests are, are like you, former athletes. Um, and we like to start with their sports career, talk about their transition. And then we get into, um, kind of some, some, thoughts and beliefs that they have around successful salespeople. So want to start with your sales, your sports career. Is that, is that cool? Absolutely. I love it. So, so field hockey, what are, what are, what are, I'm a, I'm an ice hockey guy. Um, and I've always loved field hockey, except I'm a lefty. So I, I kind of take that a little personally, you can't be a lefty in field hockey, but what are, what are some of your favorite memories of, of growing up playing field hockey? Yeah, you know, to to your point, it's not the most well-known sport. I think certainly in New England, a lot of ice hockey players around. But, uh, you know, it, it served me really well in my career. And some of my favorite memories as I think about, you know, my my career absolutely around teammates. Uh, you know, you, you have like those great wins and, and really the heartbreaking losses that you tuck away. But the memories with teammates that, you know, whether it's bus trips, hotels, you know, travel, whatever it may be, uh, you know, moments on the practice fields, big moments in games as well, but always the teammates. And those are the people that, you know, stick with you for the rest of your life. So, um, you know, the, the games, the wins and losses, those come and go, but you know, the teammates are the ones that are, that are going to be around for a while. So absolutely, uh, just great, great memories with, with teammates throughout the years. I, I get to talk to a lot of college athletes now and I, and I always tell them, I'm like, listen, the goals, the assists, the wins, like all that stuff is cool. But like, I promise you someday you're going to be sitting in my seat and, <laughs> and your number one thing you're going to miss is like the lock. I call it the locker room. It's like being around your friends every single day, all day. It's the hardest part. I think when, when you lose sports. Oh, it was the thing that I was fearing and dreading the most about leaving sport was you know, yeah, you like to compete and stay active, but losing those relationships. So I, I echo your sentiments a hundred percent. Yeah. When, when, when you look back at like some of your favorite teammates, like what are some of the traits and characteristics that, that a lot of those favorite teammates shared in your mind? I think, a, I think a couple things. I mean, very, very fortunate to be a part of some really talented teams. So with talented teams comes talented teammates um, so, you know, people that were very good at what they were doing. And I think that a lot of what comes there is being a competitor, being someone who's really passionate about 
you know, doing all that you can to be successful on the field. Um, a lot of levels of loyalty, loyalty to not only the sport, but to each other, right? Being a part of a team, I think, uh, especially as you're growing up through middle school, high school, collegiate level. Um, and then for for those that are lucky enough to play beyond that, you know, there's a lot of distraction in life and a lot of stuff that goes on in, in life that can quickly derail goals on on an athletic arena, whatever the arena may be. And and so, you know, people that are really committed and dedicated to the goals that you have as a program or, or an organization, um, some of the best teammates that I had are the ones that were able to do all of those things. But at the end of the day, also uh, loyal from a friend perspective, um, you know, when you really, I think, care about your teammates as friends and, and family, you can create something really powerful and really special um, on the athletic field, you know, ice arena, track, whatever, sport, whatever your, your sport may be. Um, so those are, you know, some of the teammates that I think about absolutely possessed and encompassed all of those things. I, the best teams I ever played for, um, it was everybody played for each other and like with each other, like that's what it was about. Right. And I think, you know, we work with some programs where the path is going to professional, but I think one of the fortunate parts of like, I, I played hockey at a smaller D1 school none of us thought we were going to be in the NHL. So we knew like this was, this was going to be like the big thing. So we all really played for each other. Cause that's all we had really. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, you know, and hockey has the NHL field hockey is, you know, we don't have a, a big, you know, pro league or anything like that. So yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. You kind of college was it college was the pinnacle. Yeah. There's an international or national team, but that's, you know, not a lot, not a lot of players get that opportunity. So it's, uh, yeah, you, you definitely want to milk it for all that you can, uh, in totally. college for sure. Totally. How, how do you think your, uh, your Wake Forest teammates would describe you from, from when you were playing? And uh, a couple different things would come to mind there. I mean, I think a fierce competitor, like for sure, you, you know, I, I think that anyone that plays at the collegiate level, you got, you got to have some of that competitive sort of intrinsic drive about you. Uh, pretty gritty, pretty determined player. Um, and I was someone who, uh, ta talented on the field, right? Had a really successful collegiate career. But I think that that would be, you know, something that people would say, but they would also talk about the kind of teammate that I was in regards to how I treated people and, um, making sure that I, I really, you know, captain titles and things like that and, and really making sure that. You take care of and you wrap your arms around the whole program, not just the starters, not just the people that are often in the press or in the media or, you know, people that are scoring all the goals or, you know, have all the all the great stats that are often in the headlines, but making sure that you recognize. And I thought we did a really nice job and I was a part of that in recognizing that it's a full effort, right? You need players that are showing up to practice day in and day out and are really strengthening the program, although they don't get a lot of time come game day, those are some of the most critical players that you can have on a team. And if you have a program that can recognize that, if you have teammates that, you know, can recognize that, I think that that is something that I'm pretty proud of when I think about my, uh, my college years is really my ability and, and some of the people that led alongside of me is our ability to think about the greater group and not just focus on the quote unquote most talented people. You know, we've all probably been a part of teams that had a lot of talent, but the full the full potential of that team was never tapped into. Maybe it was egos, or you know, one of the million things that can get in the way. So, 
you know, I think that clicks, divides with playing time, starters, non-starters, all that. I think we did a great job of making sure that that um, didn't come into play and did not impact our ability to be extremely successful on the field. So, so you won't say it about yourself, but I'll say it. That I mean, that's that's leadership, right? Is like making everybody feel like they're an important part of the team, and you know, te- that's what great teams have. Everybody has a role, right? And not mm-hmm. everybody's going to be on the score sheet, but all everybody that's contributing needs to be part of that greater group. That's awesome. Um, what what do you when you look back at your field hockey career? What what what's like the accomplishment that you're most proud of? Would you say? I think when I look back on my career, by the most successful point of my career was in college. I, I did play at the international level, and it wasn't it wasn't probably the pinnacle of my career. I'd say that more so happened in college. I was very fortunate to be a part of a three time national championship team. You know, when you're going through it, it's every kid's dream is to go play in college or play at the Olympic level and, and win, right? Whether you be a gold medalist, whether you're winning national championships. And I went on to Wake Forest and we did it three times in a row. And I kind of going through it, you don't really realize the magnitude of what's happening. Um, So although those were all wins and championship seasons that we had, it takes a really special group of people to do it once and then to do it a second and a third time. I mean, you look back on it and it's very much shaped a lot of my life and very much shapes, you know, the people in my life, what I value in my life. And you kind of didn't even realize it was happening at the time. So for me, those are memories that, I mean, such a small percentage of college athletes get to win a national championship and even a smaller get to do it twice. And then, I I mean, very fortunate to be in, I don't know if rare air is the right word, but in a rare crowd of people that have done it three times. So just an incredible thing to reflect back on. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, unreal. Like it's, uh, you got you see that type of you don't see that type of success that much anymore with the parity that's been created in college sports. I mean, I think UNC is a bit of a wagon now, but yeah. Uh, but you know, again, that's that's a rare a rare accomplishment. Um, and and you know, speaking of UNC, right? They just had their their top player there, Aaron Matson, mm-hmm. uh, the coaching job, right? And it sounds like you 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 were kind of on a similar path, right? You you stopped playing. And a lot of people, when they go through that transition, think, well, I, I want to stay close to the game. I'm going to get mm-hmm. into coaching. You did that. You you came up to UMass and then you went to Louisville and you coached for like six years at the collegiate level. Um, how? So obviously you were, you were enjoying it to do it for as long as you did. But like what made you start exploring alternative career paths? Because we work with a lot of coaches, too. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me getting into coaching, I, I wanted my playing career at the international level to, to probably be a little bit longer than it was and was rehabbing a significant injury. And my parents lived near UMass. So the head coach there said, Hey, why don't you come and be a part of our staff? You can still play on the national team. So I, you know, six years of actually coaching is probably condensed down into a lot fewer seasons that I was there, but it was a really powerful way to transition away from being on the field and actually playing was to be able to coach. So really thankful for that time in my life to, be a bit of a transitionary period away from leaving all you've known for most of your life is to be involved in sport and be involved where you're actually competing versus coaching. And, uh, and for me, when I wasn't coaching, I, I liked it to be honest. It wasn't something that filled, filled whatever bucket you're looking to have filled as much as I, I would have liked it to. And, um, I was incredibly fortunate to be a part of a program where, you know, I was able to start thinking about what else do I potentially want to do? 
um, while being supported by a coaching staff that wasn't kicking me out the door while I sort of figured life out a little bit with what next steps were going to look like. So for me, it was driven a little bit more by passion and, and feeling a little bit of a lack of passion for what I was doing. And also a bit of a turning point of like, this is an opportunity to go do something completely different. You know, I had all my network and all my ties had been in sport for my whole life. And, and it felt, you know, risky. It was scary. It was uncomfortable um, to, to make that step. But um, in my heart of hearts, I knew that I wanted to do something a little bit different. So that sort of got the ball rolling for what is it that I want to do next? And I guess like, where did, where did sales come into play? Like, how did you find your way into, into a sales, a sales career? Yeah, I started to, you know, really think about what is it that I want to do? And I will tell you, I'll be very bluntly honest. If you said, if you said to me when I started this search, uh, after making the decision that I wanted to do something outside of coaching, if you said you're going to land in sales, I would have said, no, that's not, that is not going to be where I'm going to land. Um, yeah. My perception of sales was not great. It was, um, I think the perception of sales of maybe a little bit of the use, use sales used car salesperson, uh, just trying to jam something to someone that maybe they don't need or they don't want, or maybe it's not the right quality or whatever the case may be. Um, and as I started to think about things that I did want and, and things that I was good at, I, you know, I spent a, a while thinking about it and asked people questions. And I didn't know anyone super well that worked at, at the company that I'm at. And, um, you know, was introduced to it through someone that was like, Hey, I have a relative that seems happy at this company. Why don't you, why don't you give it a look? Um, I was looking at a number of companies and, you know, at the, at the time I interviewed at this company EMC. And when I interviewed there, it felt like a fit, right? And, and you hear that at a couple different points in your life. Um, one being if you're an athlete, when you go on a recruiting trip or when you visit a program and you visit a college campus, it's the right fit. And you're like, what does that actually mean? And you don't know what it is until you, until you feel it. And I honestly felt a little bit of that when I interviewed at this company. So. For me, it felt like, well, it's sales. I don't really know. My perception of sales isn't great. Um, but everything that this company has outlined uh, really checks a lot of the boxes that I had when I was evaluating a next step away from coaching. So I thought to myself, like, feels a little bit too good to be true. And hopefully that's, you know, hopefully that's not the case. So thought, hey, if I get an offer there, I'll take the job. And ultimately that happened. And I've been at the same company for 10 years. So you know, what, what they told me was going to happen on my interview day. I definitely experienced that throughout my time at the company. And uh, so it's been, it's been, it's been great to be a part of and very unexpected path for sure. Uh, we, we've interviewed a lot of people that started their career at EMC. Um, we just had a, a guy on last week where our episode today is, is that we launched um, publicly is Mark Thurman who started his, his career uh, after PTC at EMC. It's, mm -hmm such a phenomenal phenomenal foundation um for for a sales career it's so good um and i love you know we the the guy we interviewed last week's been there for 13 years so um obviously you can have a ton of success there there's so much you can do do you think looking back like coming from assistant coaching um do you feel like you got a little taste of selling because I, I i see that a little bit in in an indirect way. And when you're coaching, you don't really think of it as selling. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that there are so many elements of, of life that do involve some level of a sale or a sales pitch, right? And a lot of people think of sales as this traditional transaction of 
goods goods exchange for currency. And there's so many ways that sales um, happen out there where the, it's not this like traditional path of, of what we think of when we think of a sale. And you, you think about coaching, you think about, you know, if you're coaching at the collegiate level, there are a number of other schools out there that also offer your sport that are also quite competitive that are also recruiting the same student athletes that you may be looking at. So how do you begin to do things that differentiate your school as almost a product, right? Where it's your program, the school from an academic perspective, maybe it's facilities, the coaching staff, the team, the success that the team's had, what's going to be happening in the future. So there's this element of persuasion and influence. Um, there's a, an element of being consultative. There's an element of making sure that it's the right fit for what that student athlete that's being recruited is looking for and making sure that it's it's the right culture fit. Is it the right dynamic from a family perspective? Their parents or guardians, you want to be building relationships with them as well. And um, so, you know, I think that there are a lot of elements that as I was going through it, you, you don't really even realize you're building some of these skills that, um, you know, as you do transition or for myself, as I transition, transition into a traditional sales job, um, pay tremendous de- uh, dividends for me. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head on the macro level of like, you know, getting the right candidate to come to come to the school. But but I also think like I always think about coaching on like the micro level of like, you know, at the end of the day, your job as a coach is to influence, motivate and educate your player of of like, you know, hey, here's the program. Here's the process. Here's the skill you need to work on. And here's why. I mean, really, in a deal as a salesperson and as a sales leader, that's what you're doing every single day. So, yeah, the the product might be different. You're trying to sell up, you know, in hockey might be a power play or a certain offensive offensive play, but like, that's what you're doing every day is influence, motivating and educating people. Absolutely. I mean, spot on, spot on. Yeah. What, what do you, what are like, what are some of the memories? If I say, you know, tell me about your first six to 12 months in, in sales, what what are some things that popped to your head? I mean, I mean, hearing a lot of no's, it's a grind, (laughs) right? And it's, I think sales isn't for everyone. You know, if it was for everyone, then, you know, anyone could have a job in sales. I think it's an incredibly lucrative opportunity that a lot of people want, but maybe don't have the skill set for. Maybe there's not the right fit for it. So I remember in my first several months, it was, you know, challenging, a lot of trial and error. And I'd come from a life that I was, from a work perspective that I was comfortable with. I knew a lot of people. I knew what I was doing. I um, knew how to position, you know, whether it was myself as a player or coaching, how to be successful. And now you're in something that's really different and different from the perspective of, uh, things that are out of your control in terms of trying to talk to customers. Are they going to actually answer the phone, answer your email, answer you in any way that, you know, customers may engage with you. And, and it also feels like when you're first getting into a career in sales, that the, the amount of your skill set that you're showcasing is limited. Because it's like, we're educating you on how to be an effective seller. And we're asking you to start going out and, and like trying those skills. So, I, I mean, you know, you've built all these skills and you can only utilize so many of them as you first transition into sales. And I remember thinking to myself that if you relate it to being involved in sport, it's almost like preseason or it's almost like the off season where you're building a foundation and that foundation is so critical to the future future success that you want to have that if you try to blow through your foundation as fast as you can the long term outcome is is not going to be a desired outcome and and I have that conversation actually a lot now as I 
you know, lead teams at my company around, especially with our student athletes around, you got to think of it as a journey, right? It's a multi-year journey to become a really effective seller. It's not going to be something that happens overnight. Just as much as you had dreams or aspirations to be a collegiate or an international level athlete, you didn't decide your senior year in high school that you're going to go be a division one athlete or a division two or division three athlete. You've been working on it since you could probably walk or run around and, and you've been building skills for over years and years and years of time. And that that's similar to what happens when you make that professional transition. So I think I had to really trust that perspective and trust that, you know, there's a lot of things that a lot of ups and downs in sales. How do you keep your emotions in check and stay as level-headed as you can and uh, trust that you're building a skill set for a longer-term outcome that, you know, you've really got to work to have these building blocks in place for uh, for the for the long term of, of what you want to achieve. Totally, we 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 have like a huge portion of the kids that we work with. I call them kids, but like you know, they're they're more experienced. They're coming from coaching. They're coming from another career, or they you know, in some cases, we have people that played professional sports for ten years, and they're like, "Well, I, I just want to go into a account executive job and make three hundred grand." And it's like, "Listen, man, like." That's a great goal to have. But if you want to achieve that goal, here's all the skills, habits, and processes that you need to spend some time like really understanding. Like you, you, you experience like talking about Avamar and backup, you know, deduplicated backup is a different skill than like holding court uh, in, in a locker room to, to lead a team out to a win, right? But there's things that'll help you accelerate those skills, habits, and processes that the new ones that you need to know. But like anything, you got to practice those things with intention over time to get better at them, to earn the right to, you know, to be that, you know, $300,000 seller. Like it just, that's part of the process and, and you can't skip a step. You can't. Um, that's, they're, they're lucky to have you. Um, I guess like, I'm curious to get your answer to this. So, so pretend you couldn't hire this person at Dell EMC. Um, but if a Wake Forest senior called you and they're thinking about getting into sales, how how are you advising them to select a company to start their career? Like, what are the things that the characteristics that you're telling them to look for? I think a, a couple of things that come to mind, and one of the things that you mentioned around people that want to go and immediately be an AE or a field seller or the most yeah high level seller that you can possibly be day one. I think is you know a lot of athletes have been successful. They've accomplished a lot. They're at the top of their game, so they may have a bit of an ego, may have a bit of like, hey, yeah, I've done this before. I can do this again. I'm just going to transition my skill set. And I think that a lot of people coming out of college want to bypass developing and bypass building that foundation. So if I was talking to someone that was thinking about getting into sales and, and talking about selecting a career, I would really urge and encourage them to want to build a foundation and get developed and get developed really, really well where they're you know, learning how to understand a portfolio of product where they're understanding how do I, you know, qualify an opportunity? How do I actually structure a call? How do I open a call? How do I have structure within my conversation that allows me to effectively talk about who I am, why I'm calling from there? What, what, how do I qualify and ask the right questions of that customer position effectively a solution or a product that may align to that customer's project? pain point needs, initiatives, whatever may be going on, handle objections throughout that conversation. And then from there, um, be able to close for some sort of next step. How do I actually learn that stuff? So getting developed 
Um, and then from there, being a part of an environment where, uh, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to get at bats, to make mistakes, to have some failures. Uh, companies structure differently around compensation. So questions I'd be asking, one around training and development. What does that look like at your company? Talk me through that. Um, a lot of people coming out of school have to pay bills. So we do think about things like compensation and how am I going to be compensated? Some companies 100% commission day one. Some companies 100% salary day one. Some companies a mix of having a, a base salary with commission day one. So asking questions around how that may be structured, asking questions around how you know current team members are performing, especially when they first come in based on how they're going to get paid. Um, a third thing that I'd ask a lot of questions about is around promotability. All right, I think that uh, a lot of companies structure things differently with time spent in each role as you do develop and grow as a seller. Um, and I think that that's an important thing to think through is how if you have goals to become an AE or a field rep or whatever it is that your goals are, what are the steps that I need to take there? And what's the ballpark time frame that it may take me to get to that point? How realistic is that um, as you as you, you know, as you think through the next one to three years of your of your career in sales? What is that going to look like for you? And then from there, asking questions around like just location wise, where do I have to live? I think a you know, it's it's been an interesting time where there are a lot of remote opportunities, but I am a bit of a believer in, you know, being in the office early on in your career it doesn't need to be every day. But I think understanding what the company's expectations are for hybrid work, remote, fully remote work, fully in-person work, like what does that look like and how does how does it align to what uh, what you're looking for? So those are a couple things that I comment on around, you know, development, the compensation piece. Uh, a little bit of that career growth. And then I think the, the you know, like I mentioned, some of the in-person versus remote element of it. I think early in career building those professional skills in person is is really powerful, especially in sales. And then the final thing is just thinking a little bit about what's that company's culture, not only as a holistic company, but then what's your sales organization's culture? And what does that look like? And how does that align to what you may be looking for as as a potential seller at that company? Yeah, I mean, you hit all the notes I agree with, and we're on the same page about remote versus in office. I, I just think there's so much, so much learning that happens when you're not focused on learning when you're when you're surrounded by your peers and your leadership, and that gets lost a lot now. It's it's really hard for for me because most of the kids we work with are like, "Well, I only want a remote job," and I, you know, I I always tell them like, "Listen, flexibility is definitely." Uh, a, a good characteristic of having a career in sales, but that doesn't mean that's where you should start. Like that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's it, it. I wish it was considered like something that you could earn, right? Like, which, you know, I think in fact, like this is a good transition because like uh, growing up selling EMC at the beginning of my career, I have a lot of friends that started in the SA program. I, we've had a lot of guests that started their career there and that is like for the most part when you talk to these folks when i when i was working with them like their goal was to get to the field as quickly as possible right yeah um now you chose a, a different path and and you spent all of your time really like leading and coaching the next generation um can you can you talk about like why you took the path you did at at Dell EMC absolutely and and you know i think that a lot of it had to do with my background in sports you know, being a part of of successful teams and having an opportunity to to be able to lead some of those teams, and then leading in the sense of actually coaching teams at the division one level, like you know, there's some of that stuff that's going to go with you for come come along with you for the rest of your life. Those 
skills don't just shut off because you're no longer a college athlete or because you're done with sport or you're done with coaching. And for me, as I went through the early couple years of my career as a seller, as an individual contributor at, at my company, I, I started to realize that the part of my day that I liked the most was when I was helping my peers, coaching, mentoring, whatever it may have been. And then I started to recognize that there were opportunities to make that my full-time job, right? So, you know, I was like, ah, the field will always be there. And hey, there's an opportunity to get into leadership pretty early on in my career in this company. Let me take that opportunity and, and see what happens. So for me, a little bit of like, I definitely thought I was going to go, you know, through this program and, and go to the field and be a, a seller in the field and then realize that there were leadership opportunities available for pretty early in career sellers. And that was extremely motivating um, to be able to be in a leadership position at a company that's, you know, a, a bit out of my comfort zone, if you will, and to be able to to come in and make an impact from a, a leading perspective. I think that the skills of leadership in sport translate incredibly well into uh, leading a team in business, whether it's in sales or some other part of, of business or just really anywhere else in life. So, you know, I, I think for me, reflecting on walking away from from sport, the thing that I did miss was impacting people uh, and the way that I think leading, coaching, mentoring, developing people allows you to impact people. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure like as you were kind of figuring out what was next, you probably realized that the best part of your day was when you were helping other younger people and you're like, uh, why can't I make this my job? Right. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it's kind of like that, you know, where it's like, man, you have an opportunity to make something that is your, the favorite part of your day or among the favorite parts of your day, your full-time job, you're in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Yeah. I started a company doing it. So there you trust, go. Right. That's me when I relate. <laughs> um, so, so you've spent literally at this point, thousands of hours coaching like really brand new sellers um, for the young folks that are listening to this and thinking about a shift into sales, what do you think are like the most important habits that they, cause we talk about skills, habits, and processes we, to be a lead at anything. You got to have a passion for excellence for the skills, habits, and processes that make you a lead at that thing on the habit side. Like, what do you think these young sellers should really be thinking about? I think a, a couple things, um, you know, some of what we've hit on a, a, a bit just around when you start off in sales, it's maintaining perspective of like what I'm doing day over day is it may not be that glamorous and I may feel like I can offer, I have a lot more to offer, but keeping the perspective of what your the skill set you're that you're building and that you have to maintain some level of repeatability. When I think about um, you know, correlation to sport a bit is like, if you want to get fitter, faster, stronger, more skilled, it's not, you know, if you want to do any of these things, it's not going to the gym once it's repeatably doing the simple, basic things day in and day out that, you know, it takes time to see gains from it. And that's going to be similar in sales, right? Where I think it's, it's just knowing that there's that repeatable nature. I think a couple things to get a little bit more specific. One is, around knowing your brief or knowing the product brief. So what is it that I'm actually talking about, right? And how do I, when we think about sales, we have really one tool and that's our voice. So what is the, va the value that I add is through my voice and what I'm saying to a customer um, or potentially emailing a customer. So some way, shape or form, I'm using my voice and using words. 
So I have to make sure that I'm pretty sharp with what I'm talking about and uh, not just, hey, like, I'm just going to wing it and see what happens with this customer. Like making sure that you know your brief, you're practicing, you're getting as as consistent and comfortable with the product for- portfolio that you may be selling as you possibly can. I think with sales as well, it could be a bit of a numbers game, right? Depending on you know the company that you work for, the, the maybe the accounts that you cover, however you're, however the company may be structured. But knowing that you could reach out to a customer 10 times and they're not going to either answer the phone or answer their email. And it's being having a level of persistence and, you know, repeatability in contacting them. And it's not just like, oh, they didn't answer the phone or oh, they don't, they didn't answer my email. It's like, all right, well, what's, what are we going to do to try to uh, contact them again? So it's again, that repeatability and a little bit of that just sort of like grit and drive that um that i think i see really can separate uh can separate sellers and then you know f- from there i think there's a level of i see our best sellers taking coaching and feedback and applying it as quickly as possible athletes <clears throat> excuse me athletes do a great job with that because we've been receiving feedback for our whole life coaching and feedback is like it, it, yeah one of the things we're most comfortable with so when you get into a sales environment i generally see our athletes take that coaching and feedback, apply it very, very quickly. And that gets them to the next step of whatever they're working on that much faster. So, you know, those are just a couple of basics that I would, that I would comment on as you, as you think about it um, when either getting into a sales career or starting to build some skills either in college or through programs that you may be working on is just, you know, the repeatability, the consistency, that is something that I talk about a lot and, a lot of people try to find the shortest path to success. And I'm not sure that many things are wildly successful with shortcuts. Yeah. I, I laughed at know your brief because I can hear Billy Scandal's voice saying that. He's been saying that. <laughs> and he's, 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 I mean, he's somebody who's been in sales for over 35 years and that man knows his brief better than anyone. And he's still oh. to this day, like that is, yeah, you can ask him anything and he's, spot on with it right and he takes it seriously and he's uh you know it's really important to him so you see someone like that that's been in his career for a really long time extremely successful could probably coast and that's the last thing that you'll see someone like him doing and it continues to allow him to be successful yeah i'd really describe what, what you just talked about as like from a habits perspective as like mindset and like having perspective like those two things are critical um any like any specific skills that you feel like um, young new sellers especially should be spending time and energy on? Like specifically, you know, you talk about discovery. I think personally, that's my belief is that's the most important skill you can have in sales. Do you have any others you'd add to that? I think that's a I think that's a great one. I mean, I think getting comfortable with being really adaptable, working in the gray space. No two customer conversations are going to be the same. So. The more at bats or the more opportunities that you have, the more comfortable you're going to get with, you know, being able to say something to a customer like, "Hey, I've never heard that before. Can you tell me more about that?" Right? It's like that feels like a really simple question, but one that a lot of people are intimidated to ask because it shows potential vulnerability or it shows like I don't know what I'm talking about, and that can be uncomfortable for people. So I think finding comfort in some of those uh, sort of situations can be a, a powerful thing. Um, you know, I think other things like handling objections throughout a conversation, uh, customers are going to try to give you every reason as to why they don't want to talk to you. And how do I find ways to overcome those objections and either stay on a call with them or with other resources that I have 
um, to continue to understand what may be going on and, and try to build a relationship with them. So being, you know, someone who has a lot of a lot of opportunities with practice and and you know being in those environments, I think is is it, you know it certainly goes a long way. I think that there's a lot in sales that this phrase gets probably overused, but being being comfortable, being uncomfortable. There's a lot. There's a lot of new that happens early on in a sales career. Um, a lot of new skills. You're learning a new language in a really short amount of time. You're being asked to apply that language really quickly with real customers. So that's all uncomfortable. And how do I put myself in a position to sort of get as comfortable as I can with that and know that it's a part of the process? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that you mentioned a great one as well with just discovery asking customers questions that may feel a little bit uncomfortable, but you're getting really meaningful information from them that can help you understand, is this a real opportunity or not? Or, you know, is this something that I want to continue to pursue today? Or is this maybe a call that I have in six months from now, or maybe I'll call them back in a year from now? Is there, there's no shortage of customers out there. There is a, there is a shortage of time. So we want to make sure that we're spending our time as effectively as we possibly can in the right spots with customers that, you know, have real buying potential. So what's my ability to figure that out? And that's through some of the discovery stuff that you had mentioned. Yeah. And, and, and I think calling out adaptability as a skill is like really, it's, it's, it's right on because, you know, especially in tech, right? Like things change so quickly, right? So yeah. And initially you're going to be adapting a lot, but that never stops, right? Like there, <laughs> there's stuff coming out you know, it feels like now on like a weekly basis that's changing the way you need to talk to customers and talk about your products and things like that. So that is a really critical skill if, if this is the career that you choose. Um, curious to know, like, so you, you get a lot, I'm sure you get a lot of folks and, and I know I talk to a lot of folks that are like, okay, fine, I'll be a BDR, I'll be an SA, but I want to get to a closing role as fast as possible. What's, what's your coaching or guidance that you give those types of folks? I mean, I think that speed can be exciting. We're all humans getting recognized to move to the next thing fast. Feels good. It feels like we're doing the right thing. But also sometimes speed can be a, uh, it can take away opportunity. An opportunity kind of exists in experience and experience comes with time, right? So I see sellers all the time that want to fly through things and get to that best job, the highest paying job as fast as possible. And I understand why. Um, but to be really effective at the best jobs that are out there, you need experience. And to have experience, you need to spend time and roll um, to, to be able to see so many different customer scenarios and to be able to get really effective at, you know, what you were mentioning earlier with discovery and and to be able to professionally handle multiple calls day in and day out, week over week, month over month, year over year, right? It's it's this repeatability and getting really, really good at it. So when you do get to that job, that dream job someday, you feel so prepared for it because there are going to be things that you never thought were going to be happening in that job that you then have to go learn. You don't want to worry about how to prospect a customer. You don't want to have to worry about how to structure a call. You don't want to have to worry about how to close a deal. When those are things that you should know, and now you're worrying about fine-tuning, upskilling, like getting really, really elite at what you're doing, you know, at the highest level. So it's, it's, you know, I don't discredit people for wanting to go to, for having ambitions and goals to do things quickly, but I also caution of, it's got to be a little bit of a balance because with experience, 
Um, I think there's a lot of goodness that's baked into experience and there's really no substitute for getting as many at bats as you can. And that takes time. Totally. Totally. Repetition. Uh, it also, it, it equals excellence and it also equals, equals confidence, right? And Mm -hmm. confidence is critical. Um, we talk a lot about mentorship, right? It's a recurring topic with every guest we have. Can you just comment a little bit about like the importance of mentorship, especially for early in your career? And I'd love to hear, you know, uh, a mentor that's made a difference in your career and, and what you learned from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, mentorship is, I think it's a really powerful tool because it allows you to see what potential there is, right? Whether it's someone that's in a role that you aspire to have, or maybe they're in a different role, but have similar, I don't know, characteristics, attributes, skills that you potentially aspire to have someday. And hearing some of their story and realizing and recognizing that uh, it wasn't always easy and it didn't happen overnight. And I think that sometimes when we see people that are in powerful roles or, you know, big titles in, in the business world, or when we look at professional athletes, highest level D1 athletes, you know, you often think like, man, they've got it all figured out. Right. And, and hearing their story, you realize there's a lot that didn't go the way that they maybe planned it to go or the way that they wanted it to go. And, and there's a lot of value in hearing that because I think it gives people a sense of hope and uh, confidence that, you know, Hey, I am on the right path. I have done a lot of things, you know, in a, in a great way. And mentors are, are there to help continue to, to, you know, empower us and, and continue to allow, allow us to grow as young professionals. Um, so for me, when I think about, a mentor, and I probably didn't really think about her in this way, but was one of the coaches that I work for, the head coach that I work for at both UMass as well as the University of Louisville. Um, when I was thinking about leaving and having conversations with her about leaving coaching specifically and doing something different, to have someone that's you know a head coach in, the, in a premier um, in a premier conference that's going to say, "Hey, I'm going to support you through this, and as long as you're doing your job." I'm going to continue to support you through this. That's like one powerful leadership and also just allowed us to have some really, I think, open and honest conversations. And you start to realize like, oh, this feels like a bit of a mentorship that's going on here. So it builds a little bit unexpectedly, but having someone that's had a lot of experience and has, has done a lot of really, quite frankly, cool things in her life and had a, had a, has a great job um, to be able to, you know, sort of help pave the way for me for my next steps, not just boot me when I said I wanted to do something different. That was a, a pretty cool thing for me. So I think, you know, the word mentorship gets thrown around a lot. And I think that it can be intimidating for people. I think it can be overused. So I think that it's something that, you know, finds a, a couple of people. You don't need to have a million mentors. Uh, find a couple of people that, you know, you, you click with and that you feel fulfillment from and you're getting value out of. Don't have them just for the sake of having a resume builder, being able to say in an interview that you have a mentor. Do it because you, you're you getting true value, whether it's professional or personal or maybe a combination of both out of that relationship. Absolutely. Did you, and, and um, you know, I'm sure I'm, there's so much opportunity. Like, I, and I think you can appreciate this now that you're further along in your career is like people that have had success, they want to, they want to help other people. Right. So like, you know, it's, it really comes down to identifying that person. And then, you know, the, the onus is on both sides for a great mentor or mentee relationship to like, you know, to have accountability to that relationship. So that's a, that's a really good example. Um, all right. So, so final two questions here. 
Kelly, we ask every guest these two questions. Um, first one is, if we asked you to highlight one of your skills that makes you elite, what, what would you say it is in sales specifically? In sales specifically, I would say my ability to remain calm under pressure. I see a lot of people that get high with the highs. Sales is a, is a series of, of ups and downs, whether they're on a weekly basis, maybe they're annual, whatever it may be, but riding the highs a little too high, riding the lows a little too low, that is exhausting. So I, f- I feel like honestly, my time being an athlete has allowed me to be a little bit like more common composed under pressure um you know today leading teams a lot of people will say to me like you are so calm all the time like you we've never seen you really really rattled like what is it that's going to really rattle you and and it probably take a lot to to really rattle me but i think that being able to stay composed right not everything is going to go the way that you planned it to so how do you respond to that people are watching how you respond to things and are going to draw their reaction or their response based on potentially how leaders are responding. So for me, whether it's in a sales call, if something doesn't go the way you want it to, how am I just rolling with the punches, keep the conversation going, moving forward. Same thing with teams that I lead. Um, Something doesn't go the way that we wanted it to. How do we, you know, maintain this level of composure? But I think it's really important to learn from the highs, like what went well, why did that go well? What are some of the takeaways that we have? And then vice versa from some of the lows that happen, uh, why did that happen? What could we've maybe have done differently, but not, it's not the end of the world, right? So your career isn't made or broken on one big win. Your career isn't made or broken on one big loss, um, as a seller. It's, uh, it's a culmination of, um, of, uh, wins and losses over your, over your career that are going to make you really powerful in, in what you do. And I think that for me, the, the elite thing, getting back to the original question would be being able to remain fairly calm in a lot of situations. Absolutely. I just remained calm when my office lost power there, by the way. So that was a good example. There we go. That's awesome. No problem. Uh, so so uh, my, I grew up, you talk about constructive criticism, Kelly. I grew up with a high school hockey coach as a dad, right? And he used to preach to us when we were little. He used to always say, listen, a lot of people play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. So like the idea of being a pro was instilled in us really, really early on, right? If you're going to be good at, if you're going to be something, be good at it, right? Um, so we think that the highest praise you can give a sales salesperson is calling them a pro. What does being a pro mean to you in sales? I think it's this constant pursuit of excellence. Um, you know, I think it's easy for different milestones to happen and think you've made it. And then there's a bunch of other people there that are chasing you down, whether it's again sports or in sales. There's always talent that's being developed. So, you know, constantly, although yes, you hit milestones, it can get easy for people to get a little complacent. It's constantly this, this pursuit of excellence. And I think from there, there's a level of, of consistency and repeatability. Um, some of the best sellers out there are the ones that you know what you're going to get from them week over week month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year, right? Just doing what is necessary and what's required. And and those skills are going to change over time and the product's going to change over time. But your commitment, your effort, like all those things that you put into it, when I think about the best sellers out there, they're the ones that are pursuit in the pursuit of excellence constantly. They're the ones that are uh, performing in a consistent and repeatable way. Um, and 
you know, from there, I think the final piece that the pros are doing is they're finding ways to, uh, to fine tune, right? Really fine tune and hone their craft. I think that sales, there is a level of craft that's involved with it. When you think about the difference between, you know, playing, I don't know, peewee, junior level, middle school, high school from the pros, it's the, the very, very fine tuning. It's the pace at which we're operating. It's the, speed it's the accuracy so everything is that much closer to excellent that much closer to perfection i don't think that perfection is ever fully achieved but it's you know that's the difference the game of basketball whether you're playing in fifth grade or you're playing in the nba it's the same game with the same rules just the the um the excellence and the the consistency and the uh the fine tuning that that happens at that pro level is is really the, the major differentiator I love it. That's my, one of my favorite answers we've ever gotten. That consistency is, I love that. Kelly, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. I know our listeners are going to get a ton out of this. It's, we get another required listening episode for our, for our candidates. So thank you so much for giving us the time. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, an honor to be here with you all today. And, uh, Appreciate it. Wish you all the best and uh, happy to help out any way that I can moving forward. Thank you so much. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.